Welcome to the Mind Wealth Podcast. And the episode today is about basing your future and your retirement on things that you cannot control. These are one of the things that we've talked about a whole bunch of times um, when we're discussing, um, you know, people's finances and money and all that kind of stuff. Uh, something that Alan, you know, talks about with every single client that he meets with um, and helping them to figure out, well, where, where are you at? Where are you at with your money? Where are you at? Where are you going with your money? How far away are you from retirement? What are some of your goals? What does your life look like when you get to that point? Um, but then, you know, as you start to re go through everything, as you start to talk about all these different ways that traditionally people are, are saving for their retirement and saving for their future, um, you start to realize that a whole bunch of it ends up going, a whole bunch of your money ends up going to places that are not really in your control on how much money you can make from them. It's at the whim of a government. It's at the whim of um, the markets. It's the whim of technology. Uh, all these different things that you can't control. It's even at the whim of the weather and uh, what might happen with climate change or what might happen with um, the way that governments uh, make, make choices. So why don't we just start with talking about a few of the things that we know that we don't really have control over. Who wants to start? Alan, how about you start? Well, it's ironic that we talk about, you know, a retirement plan or a financial plan. And uh, the whole foundation of the business that we're in is based on that. They want everybody to get their certified financial planner designation and be able to do financial plans. However, if one looks at that fairly closely, they'll see some shortcomings to the actual education that's provided with it. There's very little discussion on cash flow planning and, and um, managing your cash flow. And there's very little discussion or education about how to um, deal with debt reduction or debt strategies. And it's like, well, that's kind of the foundation of what most people struggle with is access to capital, cash flow, and managing their debt effectively. And so that's a big part that's missing. You know, the average investment person out there, whether it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's a stockbroker or a mutual fund salesperson or a bank or an insurance person, they're trying to sell you something, sell you a product. How many of them are interested in finding out how your cash flow is working out? Or find out if you qualify for, you know, what do you need to do to qualify for a mortgage to get a better interest rate on your mortgage? And I think that's the starting point where we realize there's a big part of what we do that's being overlooked by the entire industry for the most part. And I've learned over the years since 1984 that cash flow is the foundation of everything we should be concerned about. Get control of your cash flow first and then design a plan to reduce or eliminate debt as soon as possible. And the bigger part of that is to reduce the amount of interest that we're giving the bankers. So don't chase the posted interest rates, but find out actually how much interest you're actually paying your lenders. That's the starting point, and I think that's, uh, that's a conversation that I spend a lot of time working with my clients with that I don't believe is being addressed out there at all, and it should be the foundation of all financial management and retirement planning. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's important to remember that the entire game that's set up by the banks and the government is meant to keep your money in their hands and in their system and out of your own and that it's it's so difficult well I shouldn't say difficult it it's um 
it's interesting because they want to make sure that they keep track and touch every dollar that passes through something and take a little slice of it right mm -hmm. and so you have to want to control your own money you 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 can't rely on something they're planning for you to make you money you have to want to actually do that yourself so how do you make your money uh, I have a business that I work hard at to provide a service that allows me to charge someone and make a profit at the end so my question is is when you earn a good chunk of money and you're wondering what should I do with it what would the average advisor or investment person uh, try to encourage you to do with your money I mean every advisor or or bank or anything as soon as I make money in whatever I made it in if I had a job if I have a business or whatever their guideline is to say okay whatever profits you've made take what you need to live and well let's take the other money and give it to me and I'll invest it and and try and make you more money right. where the thing that made it in the first place was me and the best investment I could make is putting that money back into what made it in the first place. Yeah. So investing in my company, investing in myself, investing in my knowledge um, is going to 10x that money way quicker than someone else looking after my money is ever going to do that. Oh, yeah. You put your money into uh, into some uh, give it to a fund manager and let them deal with it. Then you're um, you're dealing with how intelligent they are with managing the money and what risks they take and you're dealing with the stock markets that you don't have control over and you're dealing with um, a whole bunch of middle people taking their cut from your profits if them using your money to try and make money yeah. all these things are a whole bunch of things that you're not in control of just you know obviously we're not in control of the stock market um, there's a whole bunch of people that you know have some some good theories about how things go and the behaviors of the markets, and sometimes they can, uh, you know, buy those buy and sell at the right times if that's what they do, if that's the time if that's the time they're willing to invest doing it themselves um, and taking out a whole bunch of those middle people so that there's no extra fees happening, no extra profits happening to other people in between. But then you got to have you got to like work on that stuff every day. Or, or, or like maybe a little bit less, but still, it's still a pretty decent amount of time that you have to spend. So, that becomes another job. You don't want really like most people don't want another job. So I don't know. There's one thing you can't control the stock market totally. What else can't you control? You can't control the value of the dollar. And this is the big thing that I want to talk about right now. This is something that Anthony just told me before we started recording, and I was like, this is nuts um so right now it's it's the middle of march of 2021 and uh in the last year the value of our canadian dollar has dropped 20 percent that's anthony had found that uh just found out that the other day that was the number that had been told uh to us uh, that it has dropped 20 percent that means that if you had your money in investments and you didn't make 20% in the last year, you lost money. 
I mean, and you it, don't even know it. It's important to 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 maybe just back up a second, just clear clear up why that happened. Totally. So because of COVID and everything, they had to print a ton of money and send it out to everybody in the country for CERB and all these different things, programs and whatever. They created a ton they just more created money. currency. They just add some zeros in the computer into the national debt and poof, there you go. And then they send it out to everybody. So the more money they print or the more money they create or borrow, I shouldn't say money, currency. The more currency they create and then... It devalues your dollar. So if you had 100 bucks last March 2020 and the same $100, if you had it in your pocket and and you 2021 this year, you had the same $100, it's only worth 80 in purchasing power because they've devalued it $20 for every 100 bucks. Yeah. So Or whatever you were going to buy for 100 bucks back then costs $120 now. Right. Or whatever the math is, is 20% yeah. more. But that that's just the inflation. Just inflation on the dollar. Now, Nothing to do with anything else, with any other costs or anything else. Right. Prices for Taxes. everything have jumped. It's like skyrocket. Like yeah, a and it's sheet not of plywood. just because of inflation. Right. It's sheet because of, of a whole bunch of other reasons. Yeah. Like you're saying, a sheet of plywood. What are the prices it's last like, year? It was, it was 32 bucks for a sheet of 5 eighths tongue groove, and it's $68 today. Yeah. So just the cost of everything the cost of everything has has gone up that's not 20 percent. that's a hundred percent you know uh so that's double the price so 20 percent of that increase in that price has to do with devaluing the dollar and that's the last episode that we talked about was devaluing the dollar if you want to go back and listen to that that was almost an hour-long conversation of us talking about uh the ups and downs of that but that's also you know the the price jump on that price of plywood is has to do with a whole bunch of other factors that are all in the result of what's happening in our in our lives what's happening in the world all these things that we don't have control over we don't have control over the pandemic uh like personally uh we don't have control over um what the government decisions uh, end up being we don't have control over the weather we don't have control over um like a whole bunch of things so there's all these factors that you know maybe our lives don't feel like they're uh incredibly burdened right now um but they they still are there's still a whole bunch of factors that are happening right now that we don't have control over and it's well it's important to remember so the dollar lost 20 percent. so purchasing those sheets of plywood is an extra 20 percent. so if it went up 100 now you're at 120 percent because you add the 20 percent from what you would have paid for it last year and what how you how much you could have bought yeah so now the contractor that's building the house with that plywood his material cost just went up 120 percent for the end person who's paying for it so now he has to be a lot more competitive with his pricing and so he can't add his regular 20 percent onto his material anymore he has to add 10 because he's competing against a whole bunch of other people that are trying to get the bid because everybody needs to work. Yeah. And so not only did he lose 120% in uh, did the, sorry, I guess the, the, the end user, so the person owning the house at the end, mm-hmm. they lost the 120%. I guess, no, even the, I guess the 20% would have been also um, 
for the contractor as well. But now they're making way less money on the jobs they do in the in the material costs where the material cost sometimes saves the job. Yeah. Depending yeah. on how everyone had a everyone makes a good wage is. for the hourly work that they were doing, even the contractor and the person managing it, they make their own hourly wage, you get to take it home, but then they need to make more profit on top of that to be to be a business. The right. business needs to make profit over and above the cost of everyone who works on the job. Um, so yeah, now all of a sudden that amount of profit that they have is maybe less. Maybe it's maybe nothing. So the the main thing is Previous years, inflation happens every year because they keep printing more money and there's no end to it in sight and they'll do it till everything pops. Mm -hmm. But it's two to 4% typically every year with the amount of money that they create and, and print. But because of COVID and how much money they had to create because of the lockdowns and everything they put on, that created a much larger inflation over 12 months. Yeah, One 20%. Year. Isn't that crazy? 20%. That's nuts. Well, you, you think, think about, about the average family or the average business or a government and how much money they need per year to function. Okay, if any one of those are interrupted, like we had to shut down our office to the public from March until August. Yeah. Guess what? That affected our revenues. We were down 70%. 70%. Well, you take the average household and, and reduce their income by 70% and see how you do. If they got mortgage payments and they got financial obligations to pay, see how they make out. Or if they just lost their jobs altogether because the business that they work for closed down, mm -hmm. which has happened all over the place. And they go on EI or they go on CERB and they get 2000 right. bucks. So they're drawing from a financial system that has to create the money from someplace. So they either borrow it, which is racking up debt, or they print it. But you look, I, I was through the Vancouver airport in mid-February. It was deserted. I don't know how many thousand people work in that airport. It was deserted. All those people aren't working. They can't be all on EI. What, how are they paying their bills? What are they doing? That's just one sector, the transportation sector at an airport. Yep. How many others are being affected as a spinoff from all those people who travel? Well, the taxi companies, the travel agents, the all the destination places where people travel to. Concerts or lockdown, we can't everything travel. that people travel for, right? Like yeah. entertainment. So it's had a huge impact on the entire economy. So take away the, the ability for us to have an income, which all financial plans are based on. All of a sudden, everything just got thrown into a major muddle here now. It's chaos because... You need income to finance any kind of a financial plan or meet your obligations or your debts or commitments. So take that out of the picture. Now now you, you don't have the tax revenue that used to be produced as a result of you spending your money, whether it was on a product or a service, the things you bought. You don't have the money, so you're not spending the money, so the government's getting no revenue either from that whole population now that's been... So it's huge. This is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know why people don't understand how serious this is. It's not about COVID. This is the least of our concerns is the, is the disease. It's the economic fallout that's affected so many people's lives as a result of this. It's tragic what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, it's tragic. And sooner or later, people are going to wake up. That seems to be the, the word these days, being woke, mm -hmm. woke up or wake up. But this is a significant uh, impact on people's lives. It's going to affect them 
for the rest of their life, including their retirement plan, by yeah. the way. Yeah, you talk about long-term compounding effects. The, a lot of stuff that's happening right now is going to be long-term compounded. We don't even know the effects of it. And like we talked about this before, of all the extra effects that are going to happen from what's happening right now with people with depression, with people with kids getting you know abused and with like... Uh, people missing all of their cancer screenings and people missing all of these extra um, conditions. There's a lot of conditions that people die from every year that are totally preventable. But if they are avoiding getting checkups, if the system can't even um, accept them because they're too busy dealing with with the pandemic, then what the, what option do these people have? They're they're going to die from something that was preventable. And so those numbers, we don't even know. We don't know where they're coming from or anything. So it's just there is an exponential amount of things that are going to result from this that we don't even know. So not something I'd like to highlight, too, is if you go back to, like, say you have a car loan and you're paying interest on it, right? And you had the car loan before the pandemic, right? You're still paying on it for seven years or whatever. So you were going to pay, let's say, 7% or whatever these car loans are. Well, now it's 27% because your dollar that you're paying that car loan with, which was put into place beforehand, mm -hmm. has an extra 20% of, of, of it doesn't buy as much, right? Because mm -hmm. you need to make more money to be able to keep up with the inflation and how much the dollar... For all your expenses. All your so expenses. So I don't know if it's, it's not, it's like 20% more of 7% yes. kind of thing. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Sorry. To, exp to explain the math prob correctly. Yeah. Um, but that's 20% more on, on top of this thing that you didn't even know was going to happen. It was supposed to be only 2 to 4% more uh, on that 7% instead of 20% on the 7%. And one other major thing to remember is for every dollar that the government puts into existence f from last year till now, let's say, Every dollar that they created has to be paid back by future generations plus interest. So they already created the first dollar that they gave and it has to be paid back plus interest. So how do you pay back the first dollar plus interest? You have to create more dollars to be able to pay it back plus interest. It's a never ending cycle that does not work and it will never work, has never worked and it will always fail. There's, yeah. not, there's not enough dollars in existence to pay back the debt. There's not enough dollars in existence to meet payroll if everybody wanted cash for their paycheck every, every payday. There's not enough cash in existence to fulfill that. There'd be a run on the banks and you'd have a disaster. So it's important that this whole system keep running the way it is. Otherwise, there'll be a major collapse and it'll affect everybody's life savings, everybody's values of their homes, everybody's... If somebody, if no, nobody can afford to buy your house, all of a sudden, and our houses, our homes are often our biggest asset. We've got our most money tied up in our real estate and our in our homes. And if you can't access it and you can't sell it because nobody can qualify to buy your house, where where's your life savings? You know, where 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 are you? And what are people doing? And who has it? Well, that's a good question. The bank who has, has all it? the money. The bank has your money. They got the deed to your ranch. And. Right. It's a, it's a, we talked about this the other day where I brought it up where I said, it's a really uncomfortable feeling to think about selling our family house. But I said, in the coming months, it, it, from a financial perspective of securing our wealth, that would be the most prudent thing to do is sell our house, take the money and put it out, take it out of the 
financial the system and the banking system and invested in something that's undervalued that we know is going to take off when things start turning the other direction. Mm -hmm. That's the smartest thing we can do. Yeah, we've been told a story to buy a house because it's it's the American dream. That's what they sold us. The banks created that to sell money to people because they needed vehicles to do that. Mm -hmm. And they thought, how can we give more money to people? Well, we need better vehicles. Everybody deserves to own a home. Everybody deserves to have an education. And it feels like a, a rock in my stomach thinking about having to sell the house and go and rent or find something way cheaper to pull out the equity to have it available to do something much greater to take advantage of the wealth transfer that's going to happen and come right past us. And I, it's just, uh, it's been a mind bender for me that uh, is an uncomfortable one to say the least. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, what's undervalued? Where are you going to put that cash once you sell your house? That's the other dilemma. You know, we, we had a whole chat here last um, in January about cryptocurrency and it's gone from 1900 to $65,000 uh, a Bitcoin in one year. And of course, the discussion and all the uh, excitement is surrounding Bitcoin. Well, is 60000 or 50000 per Bitcoin too high priced or is it a bargain? You know, so are you investing in a business? No, it's, it's definitely a speculation. It's definitely a gamble. You could make it and lose it quickly. So is that a place to, is that an appropriate place to be putting our money? And I have to say from my perspective, um, only a small portion because you would like to participate in a possible run up, but I sure wouldn't want to put my life savings in there because I don't believe there's anything underneath it. It's not like you've got a house, a building as collateral or you've got something that's that's solid like a like a block of gold it's, there's there's nothing backing it up except whatever somebody decides it's worth mm -hmm. and so i'm cautious about that with my life savings at my age as well um, but that's where the talk is that's the excitement people are looking for the next place to put some of their money they don't even have a foundation or an emergency plan on on what they're currently doing but they're looking at sh shooting the lights out with uh, with some type of cryptocurrency investment and they haven't even got their their debt under control, you know, where they're paying 20% on a credit card. It's like people are people are doing everything the backwards way. Isn't it ironic that that people find it very, very easy to diversify their debts? You know, they got credit cards, they got lines of credit, they got mortgages, they got car loans, they got debt all over the place. Our job as a financial business is to help people get control to unify their debt get it in the lowest interest rate environment as possible and then start getting serious about paying it down rather than worrying about making four percent on your rsps or your life savings and your future retirement that you have no control over most of the factors that contribute to it it's like the whole thing is backwards the whole thing is set up just the opposite of the way it should be mm -hmm. you talked about compound interest the magic of compound interest yeah it's, it's one of the eighth wonders of the world but guess what when do you ever have enough money for that to actually amount to anything in your lifetime with your savings and your investments in your RSPs? You show me anybody that's making 6 or 8%, let alone 4 as a long-term average annual rate of return. I'm hard-pressed to tell you I don't know of anybody. 
-hmm. However, there's no problem going looking at an average mortgage at two point some percent and recognizing that for the first 10 years, you're paying in excess of 40% interest every year. 40% interest on your mortgage. It's compound interest, but it's reversed yeah, for the benefit the of the banker. compounding is at the beginning. So that brings up another interesting comment. Gee, wouldn't it be great to be the banker? They're getting compound interest front end loaded out of the gate. So, you know, in the Bible, it talks about being a lender rather than a borrower. Well, why aren't we lending our money and putting it to work that way to make a lot higher interest on our hard-earned savings? than actually giving it to somebody else and providing uh, an income and a lifestyle for families all over the country looking after our little measly savings for us. It's, it's quite a challenge and, and most people are, are not aware at all of what we're up against and why it's so difficult to get ahead. They don't have a clue. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, um, just going back to the crypto thing, uh, um, I just wanted to mention it because of what's happening right now and what we said in our, in our episode. We recorded um, the crypto episode back in January and now it's March, the middle of March. And um, what happened since then was that Tesla actually went and bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin. $1.5 billion, $1 billion of currency. Of currency. What we said in that episode was this is the problem with crypto is that there's no control over it. You could have someone that just goes and buys a whole bunch and immediately increases the value of crypto because they went and bought that much. 1.5 billion or 1.2 billion 1.5 1.5 so tesla putting the money into buying bitcoin created the surge in the price of bitcoin but it started it there's someone else who went and put in another billion too with that other guy uh -huh. um that did it he collected a whole bunch of uh, things that he could get and, and put in another billion dollars into crypto so Do they're you know why they're, they're doing part it, of it why are they doing it because they see how much money is being printed and how much the dollar is being devalued. Yeah. So they're taking their money out of the system, yeah. the, the currency system, because the money sitting in a currency system is literally losing way more than you could possibly make. Yeah. And so right now, Bitcoin is at a, a $1 trillion market cap. It's the first non-regulated thing to get to a $1 trillion market cap. Mm -hmm. That's a really big thing. When you have companies like Tesla and stuff like that, bigger companies that all of a sudden make the jump and say, you know what, we're going to store some of our currency in Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation mm -hmm. and gold and silver. They even had in their thing that they might store, buy some physical gold and silver to store it in uh, as a hedge against inflation mm -hmm. because gold and silver is kept up with inflation, even though it's it's quite like it's undervalued and it's controlled by the banks and stuff like that. Um, but it's important to recognize that <clears throat> as soon as places like that move money in, mm -hmm. uh, I was listening to Robert Kiyosaki two weeks ago talking about this very same thing with a, a very reputable like Bitcoin guy. And he was saying, there's a wall of money coming into crypto mm -hmm. because it's decentralized. It's just like the internet. You couldn't control the internet, so it took off, and you could make and do whatever you wanted with no any regulation back in the day. Nobody, when you went in, like a salesman would come in and say, "Hey, w let's put your business on the internet," and people would grab the Yellow Pages book and be like, "Why would I want to do that? Nobody's going to ever replace this." 
they throw throw the yellow pages book at him and be like you think you're going to replace this mm-hmm. yeah good luck with that I haven't seen a Yellow Pages book in three years. Yeah. Every time I did, I got one in the mail, I threw it right in the recycling bin, right? Like, this is the next internet. As as much as we don't understand it fully, and like your comments, I, I can, from what I've learned now in the last month and a half, I can confidently say that it is going to be the future of economics. And it's going to have a big role in it. And the sooner we learn about it and understand it, because there's things from what you said, sounds like you don't understand it fully. I, I know there's no physical item. No, but when you're almost, you're almost 70, you're, you're a lot more uh, reserved about where you want to put your money. Of course. And right now it's still the freaking wild, wild west out there. Like mm-hmm. you don't want to be just start gunslinging your money all over the place. I can see where he's coming from. Like, but that should drive you to want to learn about it. Well, yeah, a lot. But it's still right? uh, which I've been sending you videos and stuff, and you've been watching them. Yeah. But it's it's just it's so <clears throat> crazy because it's more so to do with the fundamentals of how the system runs. There's a limited quantity. There's only 21 million Bitcoin ever going to be mined or created. So the you got to think the more money that moves into it the higher the price is going to go because there's only a limited amount and the more money that comes in has to be divided by how many Bitcoin there were mm-hmm. and they can't print any more. So, yeah, it could go to $100,000 in the next year. Well, I, you know, I'm coming from the old school and I understand what you're saying. I hear what you're saying and I, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to change my perspective of looking at this from, from a different perspective because I'm still stuck because from my learning and what I still believe, anything of value that's created is by providing a product or a service that somebody is willing to provide and somebody's willing to buy or pay for. That's how you create wealth. All I see happening often in the stock market or even with crypto is money's changing hands for somebody that's gonna make 60 million. Somebody had to lose that 60 million. There's no product being exchanged for that value outside of just Somebody's going to win money and somebody's going to lose money. It's a it's a net sum game, where th- there's no other factors in there. If somebody's going to make it, somebody had to lose it. Like, but there's no product and no business behind it that's that uh, created real wealth in the first place. I mean, people can get rich, but we're not creating anything of wealth of value that can be outside of just the value of the currency itself, the crypto, that can be passed on to generations. But there's no like I still don't see. I don't see wealth being created as a result of it. You can make somebody wealthy. That's that's a different thing. But it's um, I find that still t- I, I still struggle with that that part of it mm-hmm. because really most of us have a job or a business because we're providing a product or a service that somebody else needs and we make a living at it. That's how we make a living and that's how we create wealth by growing, expanding the business, hiring more employees, putting people to work, expanding our product or service lines. That seems to be the foundation of what I understand how an, an economy works. Government can't provide everything and we are moving in a direction right now that's socialist, communist thinking where government provides everything. Well, they don't have any of their own money. Where do you think they're going to get their money from? Now they're talking about a, a guaranteed income for all families, a guaranteed income. Well, where's that money coming from? It's the people that are producing 
something of value that's working for a living, paying taxes, that's providing that. And there's becoming less and less of them for more and more people on the receiving end who are quite content to sit home and receive this free money and not have to work for it or provide something of value to get it. So I have a real concern. I mean, it's a great idea. Wouldn't that be wonderful? We all get $24,000 a year, uh, no questions asked, just make sure that you know everybody's got a basic income to live off of. That's a wonderful concept. However, where does the money come from? That's the other issue. Where does the money come from? Yeah. So you got to kind of remember that like Bitcoin is like the currency. Okay. So it's like our currency in our system. It's the same thing, but it's decentralized. So nobody controls it. Nobody can manipulate it. So right now, ours can be controlled and manipulated in whatever direction they want. And they choose that some bureaucrat decides to do and gets his cronies in on and to benefit definitely them and, and the people underneath them. Yeah. So this way, there's no, there's no way for that to happen, right? A transaction doesn't have to go through a bank. It can go from me to you. And our accounts have no identification of Alan Johnson sent Tony Johnson three Bitcoin. It's a number to a number with no, there's no way to trace it. So what better way to transact with another person or another business that isn't being tracked at all? So I think that what the, th the, the thing about Bitcoin then is the product, the value in it is the way that it works. Yes. That's, that's the game changer about yes. it. Is the way in which it works is the, is the, is value. the thing. Because in, even though the, in the last, you know, couple of months we don't have control over it but we still have way more control over where it goes and how we don't have control over the stuff. price we have control over how our money works and how we have complete control over our money in that system we can do whatever we want with it yeah we don't have control over the value of it but we have the control over of it right whereas um in the regular Canadian dollar economy, we do not. There's a lot less we have control over on that side of it. If you went to the bank today and you said, I would like $200,000, please, because I have that much room in my thing to, to accept that money, they would say, no, 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 I'm sorry. Max we can give we you. cannot give you that. I'm sorry, no. And you're like, oh, but I thought I had control. I thought it was my money. No. No, we have it, and um, we're not going to give it to you right now. But we can give you this much instead. Oh, so who's in control then? So the other thing so. is, the next thing is, is you have Bitcoin and you have Ethereum. So Bitcoin is the basis for the money supply, and Ethereum is the internet of, of cryptocurrency. It's, it's the platform that everything's going to be built off of and run on. It's where everything is going to develop from. And so it's important to know the difference there because that's where businesses are going to create things like these new NFTs. Have you heard about that? No. So an NFT is, is, par is part of this crypto thing now where it's creating products where you can sell them yourself on as an NFT. So like if I was a producer and I created a song and right now you have to go to like a production company that's going to license the song. Right. And and they're going to, you know, do the, the and you're going to get a royalty from it. 
you're not going to own the song. They're going to own the song, and you get paid for the performance of it, right? Well, this way, you take control of everything back. You ha you own the whole process. And okay, I only want this one. I'm only going to make one song, and I'm only going to I'm going to sell that one song on, as an NFT, and Alan's going to buy it for me, for because I have it for sale for fourteen hundred dollars, right? You bought it for me for fourteen hundred dollars in I guess like crypto or Bitcoin or whatever right and so now Alan owns the song right mm -hmm. and every time he sells it to someone else even if he makes money on it he could because it maybe becomes a really popular song right and everybody loves it well now Alan's gonna sell the song to the next person and every time it gets sold I get a royalty from it directly from the purchase no matter how much you sold it for, doesn't matter if you sold it for less or more, I still get a royalty every time it's it's bought and sold. And it becomes rare because there's only so many I, I released or there's, so there's a whole different landscape that's coming that is going to change the way we think of everything, even on the internet. It's gonna change the internet, period. Mm -hmm. It's it's going to radically change the way we see the world. Okay, mm. that's very interesting. We're we're slightly off topic though, yes. so let's get back to some a few more practical things here about um, about what we do have control over. Because we were talking about all these different things that we do not have control over right now in our lives, mm -hmm. and what do we do have control over? What can we um, what can we leverage? What can we use um, in order to to gain more control over our money, um, and then be able to do what we want with it? Well, most people want more money. Yeah. They feel like they don't have enough money. And so from my perspective, they can go out and work more, take another job. You know, they can work overtime. They can tr do their best to make more. Ironically, that that's where they pay the highest amount of income tax on that extra hour of work uh, as overtime. So they're taxed at their marginal tax rate, which is higher than what you would regularly earn on or pay tax on that money. And so, so I look at, well, how can we keep more of what we earn? Well, what does that mean? Well, how do we pay less interest to the lenders? That's that's a starting point because we know typically we pay a fair bit of interest to the bankers, to the lenders. How can I pay less income taxes? How can I reduce the cost of living by looking at the, what I pay for insurance? I mean, we have income uh, insurance, we have mortgage insurance, we have health insurance, we have car insurance, go down the list. There's We, we buy insurance on everything that we have, including our, our health, critical illness, uh, life insurance, mortgages, I mean, all of it. So can we reduce the cost of that? And then take that money, now what do we do with the newfound money? We didn't have to earn more money necessarily to, to find some. We can find some money with what we're doing differently, but then we need to put that to work. Where's the best place to put it? Well, maybe some of it can be crypto, but you know, when you build a house or you're building anything, you start with a foundation. And I think a lot of people have skipped that part and they jump right to finally finding some money to, and the first thing they want to do is they want to speculate or risk and go for the high flying stuff because they think wow it's going to take me forever to to accumulate anything with the this the tried and true which is what what our whole industry is about basically buy some mutual funds buy some stocks you know blah 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 it's like well how's that all been working for everybody or go spend it or they'll spend it on lifestyle, <laughs> which is more than they're earning, and that more often is the case. Yeah, people just spend the money, and that's good for the economy. 
um, if they find extra money and they're spending it. But if they borrow and actually finance everything, then they're going right back into the same hole that they tried to climb out of. And so I think that's that's the real starting point for most people just to realize. And then there's something that gets completely overlooked, which is investor behavior. What's our attitude towards money? What's what are our habits? What are we what have, what have we been doing to get into the situation we're currently in? And what are we going to do different going forward? This is this is about our personal behavior now. How many books are there out on, on that regarding managing money and your attitude towards it? Mm-hmm. It's, it's not being hardly addressed by anybody. Fortunately, I run into uh, a person uh, where I took my cash flow course, and, and part of it, she wrote a book called Spent. It's, it's investor behavior. What motivates people to spend money and save money and all the different things that motivates it? <coughs> Bless Excuse you. Excuse me. We need to find out uh, for everybody what, what, what drives them, what makes them want to do anything different than what they're currently doing. If they can't be bothered, save yourself the effort for sure. So mm-hmm. let's roll it right back to how does somebody accomplish that? And I believe that all of everything that you just said, especially like getting control of your own money and realizing what that is and whatever, it, it doesn't even come down to going to see someone like you first. It comes down to them deciding they need to do something about it and they need to learn how to do it. And they need to find some people that can help them do it and set that up for them and and clarify what is wrong and how to fix it Mm -hmm. but it comes to a choice that they have to make first that is i'm not doing well i need to change something how do i go and do this that's the that's the first part and it's very uncomfortable yes (laughs) to sit there and actually look at where you're at and know that i'm not doing well Mm-hmm. That's the hard part. Yep. There's this tool that I've used multiple times now called the Fact Map. That um, a group that I'm in has created, and I've worked through the Fact Map, and it helps you to realize where you're really at. Where you've these been, are your facts. Where you are today, and where you want to go. Yes, these are all the problems that you are facing right now. The, these, this fact map has a bunch of different categories that it asks you questions in. The one is in business or in your finances, in your personal finances. And there's a whole bunch of questions that are very uncomfortable questions. How much debt do you have? How much interest are you paying monthly on that debt? How long would it take you to pay off that debt based on the, the income that you have right now? All of these different things, there's a whole bunch of questions that you really need to ask yourself and you need to actually write all of them down and figure it out. Add up all your credit cards and just see how much room you have on your credit cards. I actually did this a little while ago and I was like, well, between my business credit cards and my personal credit cards, I have over $100,000 worth of room on credit cards. And I was like, I can't believe that I have that much. It's kind of nuts to think about that. And that money wasn't even created by the, the government. It was created by the bank when created they made the, the credit card. Yeah, when they gave me the credit, when they assigned that to me. Now, I don't have anything on any of those credit cards right now. That's, that's a really great fact that I have on my fact map, um, that I don't have anything on those credit cards aside from what I spent last month that I'm going to pay off this month. Um, so that's pretty phenomenal. That's a really good factor on my fact map. Um, 
but everyone needs to get to the point where they know what all those numbers are. And when you get to those numbers, a whole bunch of you are going to feel sick to your stomach about Mm -hmm. where you actually are at. Been there. But as soon as you do that, then you're going to realize that you need to make these changes, that you need to consolidate things, you need to unify things, you mm -hmm. need to figure out a way to make more money, you need to figure out a way to save more money. You need to adjust your lifestyle and think about the things that you're spending your money on that is completely being wasted. Like, you know, you don't need to buy uh, an $80 bottle of wine. Um, you can you can buy a $20 bottle of wine and still enjoy it. And it's only for a time period. And it's only for a time. It's not mm-hmm. like this is forever. But mm-hmm. you do need to figure that out. Now, we have, we're going to have a whole other episode about debt and why you need to attack it first. Um, I, we kind of already talked about that a lot of other times, but I think that we should dedicate a whole episode on that as well. But go ahead. I wanted to mention uh, some of the feedback we got from one or two people regarding some of our previous podcasts was, gee, they're so negative. Yeah. You're, they're so negative. You're talking about, you know, all you're talking about is all the problems. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? You had an answer to that. It It has to do with, if you don't, identify what the problems are nobody's going to be interested in a solution or doing anything different yeah so you have to talk about what's wrong with what we're doing we do we do and we we have to make it hurt yeah for you so that you realize that there is you are hurting and it needs to be fixed and there is solutions <laughs> yeah and there you don't need to just solutions. put a band-aid on top like there's there's a, an entire um chiropractic and physiotherapy um, fixing that needs to go through in order for you to fix this chronic problem that you have Um, and almost everyone has it you know if if you're sitting there pretty and you have you know hundreds of thousand dollars in your bank account and you don't have any debt and all that stuff why are you listening to our podcast Uh, yeah well we want to talk to you you, come in here and we'll let's let's figure out what you did to get there come on in we'll interview you and we'll interview and 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 would love to know and and for you to share how you got there, mm-hmm. and if you've created wealth or if you've just got rich really quick with some investment yeah. and been able to pay everything off. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing. I, I'm sorry to tell people that we we sound negative, but we are. We do need to make it hurt so that you realize that you can do so much better. Like that's the thing that gets us excited is for to help people realize that you can do so much better. Um, if you just stop thinking the way that general um, banking and society wants you to think, mm-hmm. because the the majority of the way, if they, if they can keep you thinking the way you're currently thinking, then they can keep making more money off of you instead of you retaining more of that wealth yourself. There's Some, yeah. something I learned 25 years ago. If you continue to think the way you've always thought, you'll continue to get what you've always got. You decide if you want to do something different than what you've been currently doing. Like That's really the bottom line. And the other part of it is, is you don't know what you don't know. Can you be bothered to find out if you don't have an interest, but you want somebody else to teach you and show you? That's when you search out someone who's skilled in the area that you're looking at. You're not going to find that in the general marketplace. There's very few people out there doing that. There's people doing uh, bankruptcy uh, solutions. They'll help you bail out uh, of a financial burden. They'll help you with cash flow by maybe renegotiating with lenders to reduce the amount of money you're paying them. But, I mean, who's doing cash flow plans out there, which should be the foundation of all financial management? Who's doing them? Mm-hmm. You know? So I think we got to identify, well, it took, took me 25 years to discover what it is that we've been doing wrong. Or, and also, just in the last eight years, to find out what I can do instead. 
to have an alternative to what we've been doing. I wasn't aware of it either. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's taken me 25 years. And if the average guy coming off the street thinks, so I'm going to I'm going to be a do-it-yourselfer, I'm going to do this all on my own. Well, it took me 25 years to get where I'm at. It's going to be a slow, slow growth. Even yeah. if you're passionate about it, it's going to take a while. Even if you're passionate, even if you do find the right places to learn the right things and do the right things, it still will take a considerable amount of time. Uh, it's going to take daily, weekly commitment because things are changing so fast yeah. mm-hmm. that you have to stay relevant. Yeah, you can't read a, a book from 10 years ago that uh, that might have some really great advice that really uh, was perfect 10 years ago and is definitely not now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. anyways, I think that will end up this episode for now. Thank you very much for listening and uh, we'll catch you in the next one. Awesome, thank you. Ciao. If you like this episode, you're going to love our free online workshop that explains the concept and many others in more detail. The True Wealth Workshop will give you the tools to get out of debt quicker, get your finances in order the right way. Sign up for the free online workshop at mycustombank.com.